Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I am Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. Today, we're going to be taking our lesson out of Hosea chapter 8, and we're going to be talking about they were counted as a strange thing. Before we jump into Hosea 8 and get a read on what's going on there, I want to talk to you about this idea of a strange thing so that we're on the same page before we get into the meat of the lesson. So when you look at the scriptures, and you specifically uh, in the Old Testament, I can give you a couple New Testament passages here just in a moment, but we're talking about something strange, we're talking about something foreign, like a stranger. In Numbers chapter 26, verse 61, said, Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before the Lord, something that was foreign to, to the Lord's desire. In Deuteronomy 32, 16, they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations provoked they him to anger. So strange, foreign gods, gods that were outside of their realm of the faith and the truth. In Psalm 69 and verse 8, the psalmist says, I am become a stranger unto my brethren and an alien to my mother's children. So a stranger as in a foreigner, a non-citizen. When we come to the New Testament, we talk about something strange and, and, and as it relates to our lesson, in Hebrews 13 and verse 9, Hebrew writer says, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. So strange as in foreign or outside of something not common uh, place. In Hebrews 11 and verse 9, if you back up a couple of chapters, and it says, By faith, talking about Abraham contextually, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. So they're that strange country, a foreign country, an outside uh, country. Strange can even be used to, to mean something odd, like in a context talking about persecution to Christians that were scattered at the time. In 1 Peter 4 and verse 2, says, Beloved, Think it not strange, so here, right, you can pick up that that just means odd or unusual. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. So I want you to think about the word strange as we progress in our lesson, thinking about something that is foreign or odd, outside of the normal realm, or something that is unknown. Now, I want you to, I want you to think about this. Say you were in a congregation of God's people, and there were members of that congregation that when they heard the scriptures, they said, that's odd, or that's strange. And these are people that are supposed to know the Word of God, people that are supposed to understand the Word of God, and yet something is said, and they think, that's strange, that's odd. I can remember times when I have been preaching the gospel, uh, remember a couple of times when I was preaching up in the northern United States in the state of uh, Pennsylvania. I remember a couple of times where I would cover a particular Bible topic and members of the congregation would say, I've never heard that before. That's strange. Uh, why isn't anybody else saying that? In one particular account, give, give you kind of an example, we were just going through 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and I wasn't giving any type of commentary or anything of that nature, but in the context of the Lord's Supper, we got to 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry 
for one another. And I had made the point, so Paul was telling the Corinthians to wait for one another instead of everyone partaking of their own Lord's Supper, etc. And and uh, one of the ladies in the congregation after the lesson, she says, I've never heard that taught in, before. And I said, well, have you studied 1 Corinthians? Oh, yes, many, many times. And I said, okay, how is that something that you've not heard when all I was doing was reading from the text, just bringing up what is right there in the context? And I remember... The general conversation, I can't direct quote her, but something sticks out in my mind where she made the point that, well, when we typically read about the Lord's Supper, we read verses 23 through 26. Now, she considered anything beyond those verses, even though it's in the context of the scriptures, odd, unusual. We don't normally talk about that verse when we talk about the Lord's Supper, but it's in the context. But we don't normally talk about that verse when it's in the Lord's Supper. And I've experienced the same thing on other subjects, different places, different times, where something straight out of the Bible, among God's people, or those at least professing to be God's people, was odd or strange. Well... I want you to go back in the Old Testament here with me and, and uh, Hosea chapter 8. Hosea is a prophet during a very challenging time. He, one of his contemporary prophets is Isaiah. So if you've ever looked at the book of Isaiah, uh, you know the time period here, uh, the kings that are in reign. You know, if you go back and you start reading in chapters like 2 Kings chapter 17, for example, Assyria is invading Israel and 10 tribes are going to be taken in captivity because of their disobedience to God. And Judah and ben Benjamin are going to be punished. I mean, cities in Judah are going to be taken too, not all of Judah. The Lord had made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that through the seed, their seed, that all nations of the earth would be blessed. In Genesis chapter 50, the specific promise is made to Judah. So Judah is not destroyed or taken completely away. But this is a terrible time of apostasy that we're going to be reading from in the book of Hosea. So Hosea chapter 8, and there's 14 verses in this chapter. I want to give you all 14 uh, verses so that we can you know, consider some of the context. But verse 12 is really going to be the highlight. I'm going to, uh, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Hosea 8, 12. Then I'm going to back up and read it in, in, in its context, okay? So Hosea 8 and verse 12 says, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. So you can see this is where our lesson is coming from, okay? I want to back up and pick up beginning at chapter 8 and verse 1, though realistically, if we were to back up and grab more of the context, we'd be going all the way back into chapter 5 or, or really reading the whole book, right? But I'm going to give you the chapter as it's broken down for us. It says, Set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Israel shall cry unto me, My God, we know thee. I want you Think about that. They're going to cry, We know you. But when they hear the word of the Lord, it's like a strange thing to them. Wow, right? So in verse 3, Israel hath cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. 
They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. Thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? For from Israel was it also. The workmen made it. Therefore it is not God. But the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stock. The bud shall yield no meal. If so it yield, the strangers shall swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. For they are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers. Yea, though they have hired among the nations, now will I gather them, and they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the king of princes. Because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him as sin. Now Ephraim is a tribe in Israel, right? One of the descendants of the children of Jacob, of, of Israel. So here is our, our verse then, verse 12. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. They sacrifice flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eat it, but the Lord accepteth them not. Now he will remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt, for Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples, and Judah hath multiplied fenced cities, but I will send a fire upon his cities, and it shall devour the palaces thereof. And then when you get into chapter 9, Rejoice not, O Israel, for joy, as other people. Thou hast gone a whoring from thy God, and hast loved the reward upon every corn floor. What a terrible time of apostasy here. And, and it's... It's mind-boggling. And I mean, having experienced a small degree of this in my life as an evangelist, I understand God's frustrations. How can you claim to be my people when you're doing things that I've never authorized? You're doing the strange things. But when you hear the Word of God, you count that as the strange thing. What a terrible time. When the Word of God is like a foreigner to God's people? Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, th think about what the law of Moses set forth as the pattern of expectation. It says here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Israel is supposed to love God with all their heart, soul, might. They're supposed to know the word of God. It's supposed to be in their hearts. They're supposed to be teaching them to their children. Now, how can they be doing that when the word of God is unto them a strange thing? Who or what type of people cast away God's word? A psalm says this. Psalm chapter 50 verses 16 and 17. But unto the wicked, God saith, what hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? 
seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. That, that's wicked people that do that. But Israel is supposed to be God's people. Now you can understand why he sends them off into captivity, right? They don't know him. That, and after generation after generation after generation where they're supposed to know and teach God's word to their children, they don't know him. God's people, here, here, if you're in Christ, if you're a member of the Lord's body, his church, if you have obeyed the gospel, you need to know his word. And this is Old Testament, New Testament expectations. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 32, again, the law of Moses being given here, he said unto them, this is Deuteronomy 32 verse 46, he said unto them, Set your hearts unto all the words that I testify among you this day, which you shall command your children to observe to do, all the words of this law. The word of God and the heart are supposed to be knit together. In the New Testament, in Colossians chapter 3, the saints in Colossae in verse 16, Colossians 3, 16, are told, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The word of Christ is supposed to dwell in the hearts of Christians. How is that possible when it's foreign to them? You can't have something in your heart that you don't know. You can't retain information that is a foreign idea to you, that is an oddity to you. God's people are supposed to value his word. Uh, you know, the book of Psalms, of course, Psalm 119, um, when you're talking about the word of God, is an easy turn to, but I'll give you another chapter too and then some other verses. So I'm going to start in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired. You hear this? More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. We sing a song here in El Paso in uh, the Assembly of the Saints uh, from Psalm 19, 7 through 10. I love every time we sing it. And I hope that my brethren are having the Word of God dwelling in their hearts. And I hope that when they're singing their, that song, that they're valuing the Word of God like they ought to. More to be desired than gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. And Psalm 119, verse 72, says, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. And Psalm 119, 97, Psalm, it says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Look, how much is God's word on your mind? How much value do you put in it? More than thousands of gold and silver? Do you think about it? Do you meditate upon it? Psalm 119, 111, Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Is the word of God unto you a rejoicing of your heart, or is it some strange thing? In Psalm 119, 127, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. 
And Psalm 119, 162, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. So when you think about finding treasure, finding valuables, when you find something that you haven't previously possessed and you get excited about it. Verse 165, I love this verse. Great peace have, the, have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. I'm not going to stumble. That's what nothing shall offend them. I'm not going to stumble because I have the peace of God in my heart through his word. It's valuable. Meditating upon it. Looking at it as the heritage. Rejoicing of the heart. Loving the word of God. And Jeremiah, the prophet says in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16, Thy words were found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. <laughs> Think about that. Words were found, again, kind of like what we uh, talked about there in the Psalms, you know, like great spoils found. Some, I found something. Eat them up. Joy and rejoicing in the heart. Paul to the saints in Rome. In Romans 7 and verse 22, context where he's contrasting the spiritual in chapter 8 versus the carnal in chapter 7, talking about the law of Moses versus the spiritual law of Christ, the, the faith. He says, I delight, this is Romans 7, 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Do you delight in the law of God? Or are you more like Israel? It's a strange thing. Well, how could they? How could anybody that proclaims to love the Lord Almighty God, how can anybody that proclaims to love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ get to the point where the Word of God is some strange, foreign, odd thing? Well, when we look at the Scriptures, there's some areas where we can see where how people can get to that point. In 2 Chronicles 36 here, they're going into Babylonian captivity. 2 Chronicles 36, 14 through 16 says, Moreover, all the chief of the priest and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets till the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy. What's the problem here? They were transgressing and they did not want to hear the prophets of God in correction. And it got so bad that there's no remedy, no solution. In the book of Isaiah, remember, contemporary prophet to Hosea 8 and verse 20, to the law and the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Well, how can they speak according to a word that's foreign to them? That is like they've never heard it, right? It's, it's something that to them is, is odd. We'll get to Hosea chapter 4 here in a few moments, and you'll see how that comes about. 
But before we do that, Isaiah chapter 30, verses 8 through 11 says, Now go, write it before them in a table, and note it in a book, that it may be for the time to come forever and ever, that this is a rebellious people, lying children, that will not hear the law of the Lord, which say to the seers, See not, and to the prophets, Prophesy not unto us right things, speak unto us smooth things, prophesy deceits, get ye out of the way, turn aside out of the path, cause the Holy One of Israel to cease before thee. So the people, at, at this time that Hosea is a prophet, at the time where the word of God was strange to them, they're rebellious, liars. They told those that were teaching them, don't teach us the truth. Tell us something that we want to hear. That's, that's not just the time of Israel. Paul told Timothy of that time coming too. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. I'll, I'll read that, but let me, me kind of stick to an order here. Jeremiah chapter 6, prophet going into and in Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, meaning they've covered it, right? They cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. Now, that what that word means, if you were to look it up, uh, Strong's number 2781, it means it's, it's like a disgrace or a shame to them. They have no delight in it. So, not like we read in Psalm 119. Here, they don't want to hear it. They've covered their ears. They don't delight. Excuse me. They don't delight in the word of God. In Nehemiah chapter 9, they're rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem in the book of Nehemiah, coming out of Babylonian captivity under the Medo-Persian Empire. Nehemiah 9, 25 through 29, looking backwards, they took strong cities and a fat land and possessed houses full of goods, wells digged, vineyards, olive yards, fruit trees in abundance. So they did eat and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in thy great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient. And rebelled against thee, and cast thy law behind their backs, and slew the prophets which testified against them to turn to thee, and they wrought great provocations. Therefore thou deliverest them into the hands of their enemies who vexed them in their time of trouble. When they cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven, and according to the manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors, who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before thee. Therefore leftest them thou in the hand of their enemies." so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And many times didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies, and testified against them, that thou might bring them again unto thy law. Yet they dealt proudly, and hearkened not unto thy commandments, but sinned against thy judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them, and withdrew the shoulder, and hardened their neck, and would not hear. So Nehemiah is looking back. How did Israel get to the point where they went into captivity? It's because every time they cried unto God, it was just to get help. And then once things got good, they turned back to their own ways. And then they despised the word of the Lord. They didn't want his judgments. They didn't want his law. They hardened their neck. They got rebellious. They covered their ears. Now to the book of Hosea, from which our, our lesson is drawn, Hosea chapter 4, bringing you right to the point. 
verses 1 through 8, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. For the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. Just kind of a side point. That is hyperbole, because there were faithful prophets. But in comparison, um, it was such a great scale of apostasy that the remnant was being overshadowed by the disobedient. So let me come back. It says, By swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out, and blood touches blood. Therefore shall the land mourn, and everyone that dwelleth therein shall languish, with the beasts of the field, with the fowls of heaven. Yea, the fishes of the sea also shall be taken away. Yet let no man strive, nor reprove another, for thy people are as they that strive with the priests. Therefore shalt thou fall in the day, and the prophet also shall fail with thee in the night, and I will destroy thy mother. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore, I will change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people, and they set their heart on their iniquity. So how do people get to a point where the law of the Lord is strange to them? When they want their way over God's way. When they have no knowledge. When they reject knowledge, then God rejects them. In the New Testament, give you some insight uh, of looking back, and then even in the present first century, Romans 1.28 is looking back in context. said, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them up to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So looking backwards, people of old did not want to remember God. Well, how's the word of God become strange to people? <laughs> when they don't want to remember it. When they set it aside, when they forget it. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writing to the saints in Thessalonica and with Paul at this time is uh, Timothy and Silvanus, and said, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. So when we're talking about loving the law in Psalm 119, one of the things that causes people to look at the word of God is that some strange thing is they don't love it. They don't love the truth. They like their way. We live in a time, and you've likely heard this statement, where someone has said, everyone has their truth, or do you, do your truth. Statements like that, yeah, that's what gets people to the where uh, the word of God is strange unto them, where they don't know it. Now, I said we were going to talk about what Paul said to Timothy. What Paul said to Tim Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 2 and 3, says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. So like Isaiah 39 through 11 of old, Paul tells Timothy, hey, look, time's coming where people aren't going to want to hear the truth. What they're going to do is they're going to find people that tickle their ears, people that tell them what they want to hear, and they're going to accumulate those people. They're, they're going to heap themselves up. To, they're going to build them up like stack them. I like this false teacher and this false teacher. Of course, people don't say it like that. They don't say, I like this false teacher or that false teacher or whatever. They just find those out there that tell them what they like to hear and they accumulate them and keep them in a collection. I like listening to this person, this person. And it's gotten worse in recent years with the internet and 
uh, with every idiot out here doing a YouTube video or a podcast or whatever it may be. Uh, a lot of false doctrine is easily accessible. So it's even easier than it's ever been for people to stack up those that they like to listen to that tickle their ears, that tell them what they want to hear, whatever that may be. And unto them, when they hear the truth, when they hear things like this podcast, it's strange to them. Even though this podcast, we're using more scriptures than anything I've heard, where we're keeping it to the book, always going to keep it to the book, like this all the time. When I teach here in El Paso locally, uh, and you could go back and you can listen on wordsoftruth.net to sermons in the past. You go back and listen to 2022 and 2021. I can't remember all the years that are up on the website, but I think there's more than 10 years of sermons on the website. You go back and, and you listen to those audio. I, the quality is not as great as it is here because I was just recording off of a little handhold, handheld recorder uh, during those times. Uh, but you can hear, you know, lesson after lesson after lesson. We're going to the Bible. We're going to the Bible. We're going to the Bible. Not the words of man. The words of God. Well, to a lot of people, that's a strange thing. It's, it's uh, even have heard more than on one occasion. You use too many scriptures. Well, what do you want to hear? Ah, oh, I want to hear more stories and testimonies of men. Well, you know what? It's the word of God that's lead you to salvation, Romans 1.16, not words and stories. Anyway, times have changed, but the core of the problem has not. If you're going to know the Lord, you have to hear His truth, and you have to understand it the right way, and then it's not going to be strange. I want to draw your attention to John chapter 5. We're going to look at John chapter 5, verses 19 through 39. Here Jesus is encountering Jews. And this is after our Lord and Savior had performed a miracle. And they wanted to persecute Jesus. They wanted to kill him. And it only got worse when Jesus says, my father worketh here too, and I worked in John 5, 17, they wanted to kill him more, not only because he had did, done a miracle on the Sabbath day, but because he made that statement that God was his father and they understood him. They knew that that meant he was saying he's equal with God. So after that, John 5, 19, beginning, then answered Jesus and said unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself. But what he seeth the Father do, for what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth his, the Son, and showeth him all things that he himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raised up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which has sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. I can of my own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man. But these things I say, that ye might be saved. He was a burning and shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself, which sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he has sent, him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Look at that context. Those people that are supposed to be God's people, that were supposed to be the most prepared people to meet the Lord on the earth, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him because they didn't recognize his equality with God. They wanted to kill him because they didn't recognize his authority over the Sabbath. They wanted to kill him even though he did works that testified of who he was. And Jesus answered to them, go back and look at the word of God. You know, the word which the Jews said that they held to, like the prophets and Moses the promise to Abraham, they love to go forward as Abraham's children and people obedient to love. Well, go back and read that. Jesus says, those words testify of me. It shouldn't have been a strange thing to them to see and hear what Jesus was saying and doing. They should have known it because under them were committed the oracles of God, Romans 3 and verse 1. They should have known he is who he is. Now, there's a general knowledge that people today have. You know, a promise that God gave Israel in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 is quoted from here in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 11. Part of this prophecy and the fulfillment of it is now in play and has been since the first century. Hebrews 8, 11, they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Well, the gospel has gone out into the whole world They'll read Colossians 1, 5, and 6, Colossians 1, 23, and other passages. The Great Commission was fulfilled. The whole world heard the gospel. That's why when I go out and I talk to people and I try to talk to them about the word of the Lord, just this week I had a conversation with a young man who's in Roman Catholicism. We had a good conversation. I hope, hope he's listening to the podcast. hope he'll get a hold of me. Um, Emmy, I hope, hope you're listening. Uh, but uh, people know who Jesus is. They have a general knowledge. 
but we're not talking about that general knowledge in this lesson. We're talking about the disappointing state wherein people who are or should be known as God's people do not know him intimately. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, there were members in the church in Corinth that were doubting and denying the resurrection of Christ. And Paul teaches this whole lesson about how if their faith was just in Christ without the resurrection, they'd be miserable. In that context, 1 Corinthians 15, 34, he says, Awake to righteousness. Wake up to righteousness. And sin not. Notice what he says next. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. They knew who Jesus was. They had been baptized into Christ. You know, the first Corinthian conversions were in Acts 18, 7 and 8. People that were baptized into Christ are ignorant regarding the resurrection. One of the first points of the gospel, one of the milk of the word, things that people should, if they're, you're in Christ, know. And not, not just know in a general sense, like how people know that Jesus exists, but you should know in depth about the resurrection. You should understand it. It's a first principle according to Hebrews 6 and verse 2. The resurrection of the dead. They're ignorant? Wake up. When you look backward, and you look back at the Judah's time of apostasy, what got them to where they were? Jeremiah 4 and verse 22, My people is foolish. They have not known me. They're Scottish children. They have none to understand. They're wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. They're ignorant. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 4 of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 5, 1 through 4, God tells Jeremiah, Run you to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. Hey, hey, that's where the law of the Lord should have been. That's where the temple is, right? It's where the priests and the prophets are kind of headquartered, for lack of better terms. He says, run you to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof. If you can find a man, if there be any that executed judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. And though they say, so here their words are, the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Therefore I said, surely these are poor. They are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. Oh, how sad. These were God's people. And this, this is consistent with their history. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, all the way back to the days of Moses, verse 28 and 29, the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spake unto me. And the Lord said unto me, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken unto me. They have well said all that they have spoken. Oh, that there were such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, then it might be well with them and with their children forever. Israel has this long history of lip service. And the days of Isaiah, Isaiah 29, 13, wherefore the Lord says, for as much as their people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips, they do honor me, but they've removed their heart from me and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. And when you come into the New Testament time, Jesus' time on earth, same problem. 
in Matthew 15, 1 through 14. Same problem, lip service. But what are they doing? They're walking according to their own ways, and it's perpetual. It's generation after generation, and yes, there are times of of repentance, but there's more time of apostasy than repentance. And then when you look thousands of years later into the first century, look at what Paul says to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 10, 1 through 3. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Hey, Paul's guilty of that, right? When he was persecuting Christians. So he knows this from the inside. He goes on. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, are going about to establish their own righteousness and have not submitted themselves on the righteousness of God. You see the lip service? Going through the motions was a continual problem. And God had told them when they had a past of apostasy, for example, in 2 Chronicles 30 and verse 7, he says, Be not like your fathers and like your brethren which trespass against the Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation, as you see. He says, look back. Don't be like your fathers. Don't be like your fathers. You know, we have these accounts. We have things like Hosea chapter 8 for a reason. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatsoever things are written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. We can look back and we can see how God's people got off course in the past, both during the time of the law of Moses, the prophets, even in the first century with churches that went into apostasy and individuals that went into apostasy. Hey, on Tuesday, I'm going to do a podcast about a crystal ball. We're going to revisit Romans 15.4. Uh, I'm going to talk about looking into the crystal ball. I'm going to leave that all for you to come back to Tuesday and hear about. Uh, but man, we have absolutely no excuse. We have 66 books, many of which are filled from Genesis through Revelation of how God's people have blown it. We can see where they tripped and fell. It's like, you know, if you're walking down a path uh, through, uh, you know, a forest area or something of that nature, and the people walk in front of you are falling. Bam, bam. You, you're looking up and you keep seeing them fall. And you say, wait a minute. There must be something ahead that they're tripping over. And you could see right where it is. How dumb are you if you just go right, right ahead and just bam, fall right with them? We have all the trees in the forest cleared for us, a clear and precise path set before us, and we have all the exits marked this way to hell, that way to hell, this way to hell, and that way to hell. There is absolutely no reason, no reason at all for anybody alive today not to be able to be faithful to God. And yet, few will be saved. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Oh, how terrible. It's heart-wrenching. I, I both love and hate teaching lessons like this. I love it because it's the Word of God. I love it because I get to learn from it. I hate it because I see the repetitive nature of man. That, you know what? Most people, they walk right off the, cl off the cliff after they just watch somebody else do it. 
And then if they survive the fall and they get up, they climb back up and do it again until death. What? Come on. You're listening to this podcast. Don't be an idiot. Be wise. So what's it look like? What is it to know the Lord? What is it so that his word is not a strange thing to us? 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. Hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith he abide in them ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. You know his commandments when you keep them, when you do them. You know him when you walk as he walked. We have to keep growing. Have to keep growing in knowledge. 2 Peter 3.18 says, Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You know, the continual growth process, we're going to have a future podcast not this coming Tuesday, maybe the following Tuesday. Um, I haven't quite worked out the schedule yet for it. But I want to talk about this idea that people sometimes fall prey to, where they think the fact that you're supposed to keep growing means you never know, that there's a perpetual ignorance. So look forward to that podcast because it's false. Growth does not imply perpetual ignorance. I can understand more and more and more, but the Word of God is not so difficult that I can't grasp it. And by the way, grasp it on the simplest form rather quickly. But we need to keep growing. You can't reach a point where the Word of God is strange to you. We can't allow ourselves to reach a point where you know the truth and then you don't retain it. You know, back there in Psalm 119, a verse that I didn't give you earlier, verse 16 says, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Not knowing has eternal consequences. To the Thessalonians, this is inspired words are written. They're facing persecution. So it says, to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord himself shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now remember, knowing the Lord is not just information, it's action, like we read in 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And if you don't know him, that is, if you don't have the right information, understanding, and actions, vengeance is going to rain down in the judgment day. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know the Lord, let me help you know him. Let me help you know the word of God so that it will not be a strange thing. I have enough years of experience of teaching the word of God that you can leapfrog. I had a conversation with one of my brethren here. As a matter of fact, if you go back um, to the first Thursday in May podcast, no, the first, I'm sorry, the first Thursday in June podcast. All, all of this sometimes gets to be a lot for me to remember. There's a podcast there with a brother here named Billard. Uh, we didn't talk about this in the podcast, but in a private conversation, 
he and I were talking. Matter of fact, one day we were out going door to door trying to get people to have Bible studies, and we, we were having a really sad conversation. I won't get into all that. Um, not sad for for us, but for others. Um, and he was. We were talking about how much he's grown, and he was expressing to me how he was appreciative that he was able to study with me and kind of leapfrog because he was able to quickly gain knowledge, able to leapfrog from my study time. You can do the same thing. You can benefit from my many hours, many, many years of Bible study so that you don't have to go down the hard road of figuring it all out. You know, you can ask me questions and I can just take you to the scriptures. You can say, I don't understand that. And then I can take you to scriptures that will help you to understand that. Instead of you spending countless hours trying to figure it out on your own, I got the roadmap in my brain a little bit. Use it. Take advantage of it. Okay? I'd love to help you. My phone number is 915-525-5794. Let me help you. You can email me, brian at wordsoftruth.net. But let me say this as I say very often. Be easier for us to talk, even if it's over Skype or something like that, because a lot gets in, lost in, in writing. It's, it's why the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, in Acts 8, 25 through 39, when Philip the evangelist comes and joins him to that chariot, right? And Philip the evangelist uh, asks him, understand this without readers, how can I except some man should guide me? Hey, I do what Philip did. I'm an evangelist. Let me help you. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Hope you'll come back on Tuesday and listen to the Crystal Ball podcast that we're going to be talking about and see what we'll see then. Uh, until then, I uh, hope everything is, is well in your life as it is in mine. Thank you.